Designed by Wingnut Social is brought to you by Wingnut Social, the leading interior design and home pro digital marketing agency. We know it works so you don't have to. Learn more at wingnutsocial.com. Have you hit a wall when it comes to growing your design business? Then welcome to Designed by Wingnut Social, helping home professionals accelerate their success with proven industry practices and expert advice. Hey kids, and welcome to Designed by Wingnut Social. Today we have an extremely interesting guest, Taylor Ross of Chronicle Home. Talks to us all the way from Turkey, where he is currently working on his business, Chronicle Home, and he makes some stunning solid wood pieces for your home from bathtubs to chairs to sinks to you name it and some really stunning work and I have to tell you uh, he might be the most interesting man in the world (laughs) a lot of really cool stuff in this interview and stuff that I was like what are you doing and he is running his business with purpose and I think you're going to really love his mission and his product what he puts out make sure to follow him at the chronicle home on Instagram So before I get into my conversation with Taylor, you know the drill. I have to tell you about him. With four shops on four continents, founder of Chronicle Home, Taylor Ross, is the furniture designer with the capabilities to provide the bridge between elite interior designers, that's a lot of you guys, and craft artisans at volume. Ross's claim to fame are his wooden bathtubs and sinks. His pieces have been featured by ICFF Miami, ICFF NYC, Wall Street Journal, KBB, and At Home Arkansas. For more information, head on over to thechroniclehome.com. Calm. Wingnuts, help me in welcoming Taylor Ross to the show. Hey there, Taylor Ross. Welcome to the show. How the hell are you? Good. Thank you. You're coming to us all the way from Turkey. What time is it there? Uh, it's about 7 p.m. here. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming in and doing this interview after work hours, right? Uh, so so you have you are the founder of Chronicle Home. Right. And your your whole situation is over there in Turkey. And just tell us a little bit about about yourself and what that is. And then we'll dig into a conversation because you make some incredibly gorgeous things that I think interior designers would want to lay their hands on, get their eyes on. And I want to ask you about how doing all that from Turkey as well. So just tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll dig in. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, you said it's funny you said um interior designers. They they are my my client, my customer. Um, she is a certain age. She is, well, we found that out when we went to New York city for our first big launch and show. And, um, so I'd say 90% of my orders come from interior designers. Um, I'm actually, I've got a foot in both worlds. I've, I have to, to get orders from America. And, um, so we actually live in Arkansas and live here. Uh, we live here six or eight months out of the year. It's still experimental. We used to live in Mongolia. We've lived in Russia. We've got quite a continental view on things and we've done this before. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a crazy scheme of, um, connecting interior designers to craftsmen. I am a craftsman, but my, my body is starting to wear out from 28 years of doing it. And so I, I had kind of a, an identity crisis, uh, midlife crisis where I was like, who am I if I'm not a carpenter? And so then we started really connecting those two worlds and, and understanding I'm kind of bougie too. I like, I just like fancy stuff. And so when I would go to high point, I would always gravitate toward the, you know, the brass and the, just whatever was fancy. 
Um, so then I, I realized, yeah, I can connect these two worlds. It's kind of what I do automatically anyway. So that's in a nutshell, what we do is, is trying to make sense to both the, the guy who really can and, and the gal who can really make it well. And then the designer who's satisfying the client. So the Chronicle Home, right? If you guys head on over to Instagram and go to at the Chronicle Home, you you uh, specialize in making pretty large format furniture pieces. And what stands out to me the most are like bathtubs and things you wouldn't ordinarily find um, from solid wood. Mm-hmm. How did that even become a, th- a thought in your mind? And the logistics of that seemed incredibly um, difficult, <laughs> to, especially from Turkey. So There's tell me nothing how- nothing romantic about the logistics. <laughs> yeah. The way, to answer your first, the way it first came about was in college. I was just, I wanted to build a canoe and I, and we had a business plan competition and I asked a buddy, can we, can we make a bathtub out of this? And, uh, cause I needed a bathtub. I was building a house, <laughs> broke, you know, and, uh, that's how I sold it to my wife at least. And so we, we did it, you know, at night and took it down to this business plan competition uh, against a bunch of master's uh, students. And we were just undergrads and we won like third prize. It was like the technology prize. It was a big cash prize back then, 2001, that was $5,000 or something. So it was a lot of money to us. And, um, and so that's where we made the first one, just bathed our kids in it for years. It was a great beta test because we had like a decade of abuse and, um, <laughs> and then later we were in a foreign country, started making them. Um, but I just like the chat, like you can't do this. Want to bet? Like, let's see. <laughs> and so that's expensive. I, I, yeah. I, it's always expensive, but that's actually, it's funny. We, we were talking to an industry insider years ago and he, we were in uh high point. He had been there 40 years and he said, you know, if you'll do the jobs, nobody wants to do. Eventually, you'll get an order off of your line uh, from interior designers because they'll appreciate your work. And so that's what we started doing was just if you got a job nobody wants or it's custom, we're probably not going to make money on it. But hopefully it's the best marketing we could invest in. (laughs) And your work is stunning, right? So it's not just practical. I'm sure it's evolved a lot over the years from becoming a project that you needed in your apartment with your wife to, to beautiful works of art. So, okay, so how did it evolve from, you know, it's a practical item in your home, bathing your children to what it has become into these, these stunning pieces? It was, it was kind of accidental. Uh, we, we were shipping them to America. We had a showroom, high-end showroom and commercial space in uh, Arkansas and sold a few, but realized real quick that the judges in the business plan competition years before in college were right. This was never going to be anything more than a a family business if all we made was bathtubs. And of course, at the time we argued with them and they could see right through it. So we don't, I, I don't enjoy making them very often. I enjoy making them when they come, but the, the price point is high enough to keep it to where we don't have to do a bathtub, but every few years, a couple of years, but sometimes wow. we'll do a couple in a year. But for a while we were doing, you know, 13 in a year and getting all the kinks uh, worked out of them. So those are very high end, very, you know, um, presidential suite or just uh, I did the last one I did was in somebody's river house and um, the price point can be anywhere from 18,000 to 27,000. I was going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> my, my best rival, his are 41 and he's, he's, he's amazing. He's in Seattle. I admire him a lot, um, but we don't do any of the kind of, uh, whirlpool tubs or things he does. We just do soakers and. 
And so far that's been, it's been a kind of a calling card. It's kind of a curse and a blessing. Like, yeah, he's the, he's a bathtub guy. And when you hear the $27,000 price tag, you think you can't afford <laughs> a stool either. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Our stools are right in line with commercial <laughs> contract grade. So. Yeah. And there's, I, I'm seeing sinks and what else, what else do you guys produce? Oh, uh, well, what we want to produce <laughs> is chairs. Uh, okay. Uh, just the piece, piece counts for a business status are, are high as far as keeping, keeping things rolling. And, but at the same time, we know, we know our original roots are doing a custom job to, to get trust. And so I'm going to Abu Dhabi this weekend and I'm going to meet with architects and interior designers in, in Abu Dhabi. And my first thing will be, what do you have that nobody wants to do? Yeah, give me a shot and <laughs> large <myself>. wooden tubs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe that. I don't know, but it it kind of morphed from that into like okay. So I had an interior designer one time. She wanted a table for her studio to be the impression piece when clients came in, and she incorporated acrylic and chrome and glass and walnut and everything was random and. And we didn't make any money on it, but it's her showpiece and she's one of our biggest fans and she's sent so much business to us through the years. So, so you did make money on it, really, if you think about it, let's put that in the marketing budget. <laughs> You're right. That's, and that's how I have, I, I, it's funny you said that today I was thinking, okay, this is a market. Yes. Mark, if we, if we get some custom orders out of this, I usually just sort of like, oh no. But it's what we do. It's probably 60% of what we do. And then the 40% pays the bills. So, so besides the, besides being a statement piece, right, your work are statement pieces for sure. You know, it's something that could last forever, I'm assuming, that it's beautiful. It's, a, it's a, something, a conversation to talk about and just one of a kind. I mean, it's not TJ Maxx or, you know, any, you know, article or anything like that. There were so, everybody's going to have one like that. Is there any kind of advantage to as far as functionality of having um, we'll just go to the bathtub again. And I know you do other stuff. We'll talk about that too. Of having a solid wooden bathtub, do they function differently? Is there any kind of use case out of it or? Warmth. Really? My, okay. My wife loved to soak um, mm -hmm. in that tub. It's It was immediately warm. It's a mm -hmm. natural insulator. And so all the problems with cast iron and everything she'd had before, mm -hmm. she was yeah. like, and, and it stays warm, Taylor. And so that's always <laughs> been, um, but as far as the way we're finishing it, we're, we're not doing the Japanese method. We're not doing raw wood. It's, it's really a, our first one was two by fours from the lumber yard made into a bathtub with literal knot holes in it. And then, and then finished like a kayak to show this finish doesn't depend on the wood. This finishes a finishing of itself. So it's literally like a, a static piece of film between you and the wood. So that's that's one thing we can't we can't use the natural part. We can't say we're, we're more, but we do sustainably uh, use wood. We, for example, we've got a project right now. There's there's thousands of olive trees being ripped up by the roots here because they were planted in the incorrect soil 50 years ago, and they're just throwing them in piles. And um, so a friend of ours, a German guy here. Um, harvest those sustainably and we use we use that wood because it's been ripped up by the roots already and they're planting fruit trees and they're using the soil well but but it was like oh no i can't believe and nobody here knew what to do with it and so we do that but as far as the actual bathtub benefit mainly the warmth i would say uh, everybody that's bought one just loves the the soaking time the the me time they get in the bath in the bathtub yeah. 
Well, that's the biggest complaint, actually, is that, you know, because I'm a tub person. And when I go to soak in a tub, it stays hot for like maybe 10 minutes and then that's it. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting yeah. like in My hot water heater's <laughs> done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so that's good to know that not only is it beautiful, you know, there's a be like, I can justify it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can justify spending $25,000, $30,000 on a bathtub. It's it's usually a statement piece. Yeah. It's, there's some <laughs> for, motivation. Yeah, for sure. Too. Yeah. This isn't your everyday bathtub for sure. Or pieces in general, just the work quality is beautiful. So let's, why Turkey? Why are, because Arkansas and Turkey, those are two very different places. So what led you to relocating even part-time so far away? Mm, great question. I'll answer as much as I can answer. Um, <laughs> are you, we are you in the witness protection? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> I have been kicked out of Russia though. And, and have I you was really? banned for five years. Yeah. And I'll, I can talk about that on another podcast as well. Oh, kind of want but to know now. It, it, was not, uh, it was funny because they just knew I was a spy and, and asked me if I was a spy. And I was like, in fact, one of the questions was, um, do you have Obama's telephone number? And I was like, no, I do not. I have five children and I live here. That's, <laughs> but something about it, it just was hilarious. So we were actually traveling. Um, so we have four, three or four KPIs in our business. One of them is money and the other three have to do with sustainability, how we affect the community. And, and then there's a social cause underneath uh, whatever we do, whatever community we're in. For example, um, when I'm in Arkansas, my, my office is in, in an area that's um, very depressed, very, but very historic. I love the building I'm in, but um, at one time it was considered a, a, a crack house. And that's when I was in there and we go into places like wow. that on purpose. We look for dark places like that and just see what happens and just do business. <laughs> just go in there and okay, sure. we're, and they're like, what are you doing in there? And I'm like, accounting. <laughs> Didn't care about, it. <laughs> but it it just brings these worlds colliding, and that's I kind of like the chaos of that. And so um, we were actually traveling to Moldova. There was something I wanted to do there that had to do, and so I can talk about this because it's after the fact. Um, it was in Eastern Europe and so, some anti trafficking work that we do, and um, so I was there doing that and um, and using my business as as a way to be there, and just noted like met some amazing shops here in Turkey. Like we were just traveling. It was during COVID time. No one was open, but Turkey was open. They're like, yeah, we're, everything's open. Just come to the airport. <laughs> and so we came here and they had all kinds of testing facilities in the airport and stayed in a, I picked a cute Airbnb. And uh, then, then I met these guys that were making furniture for a local, uh, let's say espresso, espresso labs, the name of it, but it's a, it's a coffee chain and they were doing amazing work. And I was like, I wonder I wouldn't plan on this. I was just traveling here, but I wonder if they can do any of our stuff. So just kind of evolved from there. There's lots of coincidences and things that happened. We just kind of did an experiment. We're like, let's do, we've got this big order. They're really understanding that the timeline's not firm. Let's, let's see how it goes. So that's what started it. was going through a rebrand in my company and having a new website built and I brought in Wingnut at around the same time and had them do a strategy. In that strategy I found it to be really comprehensive and actionable. I, like probably many designers, find Instagram to be such a bear. I understand that it is so so important. It is a visual medium. What we do is so visual um, but it's just it's an entire full-time job and with 
running a business and actually doing design, it was just really not feasible for me to keep up that pace with Instagram if I ever wanted to sleep. <laughs> um, so working with Wingnut, they have taken all of that off of my plate, which honestly is the most invaluable piece of working with Wingnut. All right, Taylor, I can't just gloss over these two things. <laughs> you're in Russia <laughs> and you're banned from Russia for five years and you just said, oh, I was doing some trafficking work. Is this a, is this a second career for you? Did you have a, do you have a side hustle as a secret agent or <laughs> no, what, those, what can you tell I, us? I have friends that do that. Okay, <laughs> no, right. I, I just have good friends. Um, no, it's not, a, it's not <laughs> a side hustle. It's just kind of like um, I did all the, I did all the career stuff. I was a stockbroker for eight years and had the American dream. I was like, this isn't it. Um, and so I, I kind of woke up one, one year and my wife was kind of watching me skeptic, like, is this really him? But she, she knew me for, we, our marriage was no good at the time. And she, she knew something had to change. And so when it did, she was a little bit skeptical, but when it did, she was like, well, whatever this guy wants to do, then I'll do it. Cause this is different. Like our marriage is changing. And so at that time, I was just like, I don't know, but I would. I've always wanted to go to Russia when I was nine. I saw an encyclopedia that there that in Siberia there's no people, and I've always had this dream of being a hermit. So we ended up traveling there a lot, and and it was just literally a fluke. We were in the wrong place at the wrong time. They were trying to, and and the 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 political scene there is very different than the average person living every day. So when you sure when you run into a police officer. So that whole story, I can, I can go into that a lot. It's, it can be too long, <laughs> but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a secret agent. It's not a side hustle, but I, <laughs> I did decide at that point, okay, we got this business. That's where the key KPIs came in. I was like, what, mm -hmm. are we just measuring on money or do we care about other stuff too? And I really love, um, I love Patagonia. I love the way they have something they're doing that's not just clothes. Like we, we really want this whole thing to matter. So that was behind it. It was like, we have these values. We really want everything to matter. And I, and we were taking care of these kids. So this is how it happened. Okay. Who, who were, who were orphans. And, and we found out that a lot of trafficking comes from orphanages, especially in Asia. We're living in Asia. Sure. And I was like, that is not okay with me. And met this guy who was intercepting girls at borders of his own country. I won't say what country it was, but he, he had a program going where he would get middle-aged mothers because they have this sixth sense about something being wrong and station them at the border with a little badge. And when the pass passport control would come up, he'd be like, Hey, uh, ma'am, can you come to this side? There's a women's line over here. And she would say, um, the, the men's line is over here. And so she would separate them and intercept, intercept the girl with no fanfare. I mean, just, um, and so I was like, that is genius. We, we've got these girls who are at risk. What else can we do? And so I'm I'm not the guy who runs those programs, but I am a connector. Everywhere I go, I connect. I connect interior designers. To, and so I just started whatever country I was in. I was like, hey, you need to meet this guy. This guy does the, the most amazing intercept program. And so once I started one in Mongolia, I started one in an Eastern European country. And so it just start, kind of started happening to me on accident as we did furniture. So is this kind of the the sense of purpose behind the business is to help this kind of mo you know movement and preventing this kind of thing? Is that is that your purposeful mission 
with the Chronicle? Yeah, Home? that's that's really one. Of, it's not just one of the KPIs. Mm-hmm. It's it, we we would sacrifice the other three for that one if we had to. We don't want wow. to. We want to make money. We want to. Sure, of course, you uh, have to live. And, yeah, yeah. And we love. I love bougie furniture, so that works out because <laughs> I, I love talking about everything from wood to steel to um, the specs on a different project, but. The reason for it had to be deeper. I was like, oh, I've I've done just money. That that wasn't it. So well, that's amazing, and I and I applaud that. And I won't dig in any further into your secret, super secret agent spice world <laughs> life. I'll say whatever I know. I can say it, it's no problem, no pressure. <laughs> Boris and Natasha may be listening. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have two friends, and that's their names, and they're married. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that that is that is super amazing. So let's talk a little bit about that because at the end of the day, our audience are business owners, right? And we have a lot of architects, interior designers, and we do have some makers as well, some creatives and makers who are on here who, you know, and creative, artistic, and uh, money's important. Like I said, we have to pay the bills, right? We have to have a roof over our head, but creatives seem to be driven by more than that. So let's talk about how does someone, what does it walk that line between having a sense of purpose with their company, but also making sure that the business is, is profitable? You know, how do you d- divvy that up? How did you learn to do that? And have you always done that? No. Okay. And I and I would not say my life is in balance right now. I, I sure. hope okay. for balance. <laughs> but um <laughs> I've done I've done both sides. And what happened was I was exposed to a group of people who started talking about KPIs the way I'm talking about key performance indicators. Mm-hmm. It's just like how do you measure your business? What are you measuring? Are you, are you measuring profit or are you measuring? And I and I love Simon Sinek. I started listening to him a little bit and just having an infinite purpose and, and that kind of thing. But um so at that at that point I started thinking like, okay, I was exposed oh, that's right. I was exposed to these investors. And these investors were the ones with with the money for the stage I wanted to go to. And they were the ones saying, what are you? Is is profit first? Is return is internal rate of return your number one? Um because we have a, a segment of people that want to help you up, help you scale up. These were all people way above me and just with vision. And and uh, there's these other people that want impact more than they want internal rate of return. They still want inter- internal rate of return, but impact is more. So if your mm-hmm. business is making an impact, those are the people we're going to talk to. And I was like, really? There are people like that that would put <laughs> impact above with their you know, millions or hundreds of thousands or whatever. Yeah. And so that's when I started, my mind was changed. I was like, man, if they're if there are people who are willing to help me do this with that, with profit KPI subverted to whatever we're doing, I'm interested in talking to them. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a whole subculture that's just like, yeah, we're interested in this business making it. And that was the other thing. They, they would write the check, but they would also write a blank check of their time because they're, they were former CEOs and some of them British lords and people who who would just write a check, blank check of their time to help you not fail. Like, hey, if it's going bad, yeah, let us fly in. Well, that's the thing, and I don't want to sound make this sound crass or reduce it at all, but there's um, I think a lot of people are unaware or maybe don't think about that people who have who can afford the kinds of products that you're producing or stuff they like to invest in causes that they align with as well. They don't just want to spend their money. They want to invest in the bigger picture, right? They want to be part of a movement or something that aligns with their their values, right? And um, I, I don't, 
the two aren't opposed, right? You You're can so have right the, you can you can have a movement. You can still be profitable and and giving to the community or going to a crazy extreme like you do in a, in a, the best of ways, you know, with what you're doing with the trafficking and people um, dig that. They really do align with that. And they'll be like, not only is his, you know, his product and his uh, furnishings, they're stunning, but look at what else we are accomplishing by having, you know, it's just, it, it's a whole story. Right. And that, that is so important. Yeah. And what you said about artists, um, uh, this just happened to us last year. Our biggest, one of our biggest investors, was an artist lady who called me and I thought we were going to talk about just in general, like the, the, the social work, the humanitarian work. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know she was an investor. And mm-hmm. part of the call, we just had a, a video call and she was asking us what we were doing here, what our plans were, what our next scale up was. And I was really timid about it. Cause I was like, ah, it's expensive and I don't know if it's ever <laughs> going to happen. And, right. And so I gave her, I was like, well, we need this for, you know, paying rent where we're at. And, and she, she, she wrote a check for she and she was a, a writer and artist and a, and I didn't know she she was just like okay we'll we'll get back to you and we gave them our banking information and the deposit that came into our bank was like 10 times what the number was I gave her and I thought it was a mistake I was like no nah. I so I, I emailed her we're on a professional level only they're like not I was like hey I was in financial services I'll get this money back to you I, I know it was a mistake. She's like, no, we love what you're doing. And we want you to just do everything you wanted to do in, in the next year. Wow. I couldn't believe it. And wow. it was just a, just a an blessing. artist, like you said, who had a, mm-hmm. she, she loved the whole, like, what do I do about trafficking? I don't know what to do about that. And when, when she met us, she said that was enough, like what we want to partner. That is amazing. What an amazing story. And God bless you for that work. That is that is incredible. So, Taylor, is there anything that um, you want to add about the Chronicled Home or anything um, that you think our listeners would like to hear before we get into the What Up Wingnut round? <laughs> um, if I was a, if I was, I always try to think if I was an interior designer today, what's, what's my problems? Um, I, I don't know that I'm that, that in tune anymore after, after being here a year and, and really being around architects more, most of the the world over here is either interior architect or architect. Yeah, it's different. Um, but from that perspective, the way we started was, um, I learned the difference between napkin drawing and and I didn't know there was a difference and a drawing. You don't if you just say drawing, there's a sense of dread that comes into an interior designer that says, I've got more work to like I've got to get in Reddit Revit or something and draw something to to do business with this guy. But if I would say, Hey, if you can just give me a napkin drawing, just something real mm. my son, so my son does all of our drawings. He he was drawing Legos at the time, like 2019, and, mm-hmm. and he was 3D printing his own Legos. We started just drawing furniture for for clients. Like, hey, we'll draw this, and if it doesn't work, great, no no charge. But if it does, then we'll back charge it into the project, and, and you can pay for the drawing time. And so, um, if I had one thing to say, it was that's that's kind of if even if that's not still relevant, that's kind of the heart of Chronicle Home is to bring something to the clients we're serving, not just ask for orders, but become part of the project. Draw draw five pieces if we have to before we get the forget the order and do the the custom orders that nobody wants to do but it might be the part that you know sold the design to the eventual yeah. buyer so it's definitely less intimidating knowing that I could just give you a napkin drawing. <laughs> and because we're a little bit visionary, we can kind of see it like, did you mean? And usually when we, we get the first drawing back, that's when we find out, yeah, you're spot on. I've just changed this and changed this. But it's it, it helps the ones we 
we were in touch with at that time, which is a small group, but they're elite. They like really high-end projects. And and we also learned from High Point that that's the, that's the area that still drives orders in the furniture industry when everything is depressed is somebody that just wants the chair the way they want it. Yeah, that is true. The high end, um, like even with the economic pullback, and there has been some since COVID, the high end and luxury, they're still doing just fine. So that's if you're thinking of niching and you're afraid of <laughs> raising your prices and becoming more high end, uh, don't. All right, Taylor Ross, now I have to ask you, are you ready for the What Up Wingnut round? I hope so. <laughs> what would the hashtag on your tombstone be? <laughs> hashtag exciting. <laughs> my life, for good or for worse, my my life is exciting. <laughs> you know what? I believe it. I do believe it. You're stuck on a deserted island, but you can have your one favorite food forever. What is it? I hate to be that guy, but steak. Oh, I love it. Oh, yeah. Ribeye? Yeah. What kind? Yeah. Actually, uh, rib marbling is the thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. My wife hates it because she doesn't like fat on her steak. I'm like, what's the point? <laughs> yeah. What's the point of a steak if there's no fat in it? Yeah. Steak with a Guinness, a nice baked potato, some, oh, some vegetable yeah. just because you have to, right? Yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Last but not least, please recommend a book that's impacted you either personally or professionally. I guess actually the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy well all three sets and then the extra material and um i'm a real visual so that the guy was just incredible he and c.s lewis did some things um literary i love it that's the first I yeah i love it and that's rr R. tolkien right of course who mm -hmm. wrote that yep. my favorite is yep. the dune series frank herbert oh. i mean dune dune Number is my two. ultimate favorite but i've read I, every I, dune yeah, Every, same. so have I. Yeah, met several times. Yeah. <laughs> the chapter house ones are amazing with the women like governing the universe. I was like, this uh, is incredible. So good. <laughs> yeah. All right, Taylor Ross, please tell the audience where they can go to find out more about you and the Chronicle Home, and we will call it a day. Okay. www.chroniclehome.com. That's our, our main site. And then Instagram under Chronicle Home Furniture is a real good place to just follow. Like our, we, we've got some professional, uh, photos on there and things, but we're also trying to keep it real and keep a, keep things connected to the actual making process so you can see how real it is. Yeah. You guys are not going to believe the, how stunning, how stunning Taylor's work is. You need to go over there and check that out. Taylor, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, kids. Taylor Ross is living proof that you can have a mission. You can actually have a purpose in the world and still have a business and make a living and have that revolve around it and not be the central thing, right? So I think that you got there that not only is he a super secret agent spy or something, I don't know, I didn't want to dig in too tight, but that he is doing some serious, serious work and changing lives, right? Changing lives is the serious mission and using his company to help support that and to make those connections and creating beautiful pieces of stunning, really art that you can use in your home. And, and, and I applaud that. I think that that is really amazing. So don't feel when you're running your business, especially as a creative, but you know, as interior designers, we're creative that it's all got to be money, 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 money. It's okay to put some of your heart and soul and to give back to the community and help. And I think you'll find out. And again, I said, you know, I don't want to be crass about it, but I think you're going to find out that that's going to come around and you're going to be more fulfilled, more profitable, happier, and doing better for the world, right? So 
the two are not diametrically opposed. They actually are, they go very well together when running a business. All right, guys, if you need help with marketing your interior design firm, or maybe you're a maker like Taylor Ross, and you make beautiful furnishings or cabinets or rugs, or you're a vendor and to the trade vendor, we have a lot of clients that are doing extraordinarily well on social media with Wingnut Social. We're a white glove do it all for you digital marketing firm. And you can check out wingnutsocial.com to learn more. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Remember until next time to get out there, get uncomfortable and be great. You've reached the end of this episode of Designed by Wingnut Social, but that's only the first step into accelerating your business the Wingnut way. Head over to wingnutsocial.com or call us at 786-206-4331 to see how we can help take your business from meh to amazing. We'll see you on the next episode of Designed by Wingnut Social, your digital marketing tightly fastened. Good boy, Mango.